Hey everyone, we just wanted to start off this episode uh, sending you guys over to the Victims and Villains podcast where we did a guest episode. It's their latest called Cats and Crime where we talk about the history behind uh, starting up based on a true crime and you get to hear a bit of the behind the scenes process behind making the podcast. We also talk about current news in the horror world as well as a true life crime. So please check them out, Victims and Villains on Instagram. They're at Victims and Villains. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's mini-sode of Based on a True Crime. I'm Chelsea, and I love true crime. And I'm David, and I love horror movies. We just wanted to take a moment out of the episode before we start to address the, um, well, I guess really to, to come out against Nazis and white supremacists. This is a very controversial position, apparently, or at least... A somewhat more controversial position than I ever would have expected. So, unfortunately, I do feel like we need to come out and say it because there are people out there who are not ashamed of being Nazis and being racists, and they should be, and we should shame them. Yes, absolutely. So, so we're just you know getting it out there right now. We just wanted to come out and say fuck Nazis. So. All right. All right. Well, let's now that we got it. that out of the way, yeah. let's get started. All right. So for this week's episode, if you haven't seen on our social media, we are doing the movie The Strangers. And this is based on a listener suggestion. We got a really nice email from Angel, um, you know, saying how much she likes the podcast. So kind of buttering us up and then saying that she thinks that we should do The Strangers. And we were looking for a good mini-sode topic. And David immediately jumped on it because he's been wanting to watch The Strangers with me for a while. Neither of us had seen it, but I... I'm absolutely terrified of home invasion movies, which I'm sure we'll talk about more when we talk about the movie. So I had been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, but for the podcast, I'll do it. And then some shout outs to people who guessed it. So at Doc Johnny Fever and at Abloss5 guessed the movie on Instagram. We posted an image of um, the tagline, Because You Were Home. And then Charles is actually, it's our buddy at Last Hometown. Uh, but he found us on Facebook. He commented on the Facebook post and he guessed it too. So thank you guys so much. And just one more quick shout out that I'll probably be repeating in our full episode um, in case people, anyone skips minis. But uh, we did connect with the History Dweebs podcast on Facebook, which I was really excited about. They're also based in Cincinnati, um, which I found out we connected on the podcast we listened to Facebook group. So it was really cool chatting with them a little bit and listening to their show and then joining their their Facebook community, which is just absolutely hilarious. It's the most amazing group of people <laughs> that, I've, that I've seen on Facebook, a really great community. So definitely check out the History Dweebs if you're not already because they're kind of a huge deal. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right. Over okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we want to kick off this episode with a quote from The Strangers director Brian Bertino. And in the production notes of the making of the film, he uh, says, quote, as a kid, I lived in a house on a street in the middle of nowhere. 
One night while our parents were out, somebody knocked on the front door and my little sister answered it. At the door were some people asking for somebody who didn't live there. We later found out that these people were knocking on doors on the area and, if no one was home, breaking into the houses. Spooky. Yeah. That's no, why I, they have those doorbells now with the videos. You could pretend you're home even when you're not home, right? Yep, exactly. No, I think that's pretty scary and i'm sure sat with him camera here are you sure oh man yeah that's uh, (laughs) for later (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah creepy so i guess well we'll just jump right in right let's talk that was one of the inspirations for the movie that you kind of hear thrown around a lot and of course the other big one is the manson families uh well in particular sharon tate murders and also the uh la bianca murders yeah and before we get into it i want to say david did the research for the section all on his own his very first time doing the true crime research and it was kind of fun watching him squirm while he read all the details so welcome to the club david yeah it's a grueling experience i think it's still sitting with me so yeah (laughs) all right well Gosh, I feel like uh, I need to roll up my sleeves, even though I'm not wearing sleeves right now, to uh, dive into Charles Manson. Yeah, David's shirtless right now. <laughs> okay, that's a lie. No, no, I, would, I actually have a t-shirt on. Yeah, so I this is no attempt to compete on the level that a lot of the research on Charles Manson has done, but... It's a mini-sode. Just go for it. Yeah, all right. We'll jump in. So I don't want to go... F- too far down the Charles Manson and Mancy F- Manson family rabbit hole. But there are a few points of interest that I wanted to discuss about Chuck's history, and specifically that he was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, our lovely city. Oh, no! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was actually, and I'm like overloading the shout outs, but Murder and Such just did an episode about Ohio called Something in the Water. That's just about all of these serial killers that have connections with Ohio. So apparently we moved to a, a good state for being into true crime, but uh, <laughs> we should maybe stop drinking the water. I guess so. I mean, I was born in Illinois, home of John Wayne Gacy. So you got to really wonder oh, yeah. about, I'm sure every state has uh, some kind of water that'll make awful things happen. So um, Charles Manson's mom. Oh, okay. Well, this is maybe a hint of things to come in reading about Charles Manson, but his mother reportedly sold him for a pitcher of beer to another woman that wanted children, and his uncle had to track the woman down to get him back. Oh my gosh. This is why uh, David doesn't want to have babies with me. Traded <laughs> for a pitcher of beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Traded for a-, a nice bottle of wine, more like. Or an urban chestnut growler. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Bye-bye, baby. Yeah. So, you know, really, uh, that kind of stood out to me and, and kind of lends to the fact that, you know, well, Charlie had a crazy life before he was sentenced to life in prison and leading the family to murder so many people. Anyway, the Manson family. So between 1968 and 1969, Charles Manson and his followers lived in a sort of commune at the Spawn Movie Ranch, which was a former filming location for Westerns in Los Angeles County, California. The group did chores like helping to run the ranch's horse rental business in exchange for rent. And later on, well, actually... <laughs> One year later, the ranch was burned down by wildfire in 1970. And was that a coincidence or was that just a stroke of wiping out the uh, last traces of the Manson family? Maybe that's God saying, I don't approve. (laughs) I disapprove. (laughs) Yeah. 
So just jumping over to Manson, um, in true supervillain fashion, Manson heard the Beatles' White Album around the time that they were on the ranch and believed that the song Helter Skelter was about an apocalyptic race war that was just on the horizon. Of course, he said this was all told in code on the record and was directed at the family. Basically, they were an elected group who were being instructed to preserve those worthy from the race war. So this part of the story is a rabbit hole that would probably take up several podcasts and probably has. So I'm going to skip all those details. But basically, Charles Manson had mastered the art of manipulation and took a bunch of young people who were runaways or had troubled backgrounds and brought them into his family to give them a sense of belonging and convince them to commit crimes for him. Kind of like an evil Pied Piper. There's actually quite a few of those in history. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the actual Pied Piper is not that great of a person if you want to really get into it. He did steal a bunch of children because he didn't get money for killing rats or something, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So since this episode's all about home invasions, let's focus on, as we mentioned earlier, we're going to start with the Sharon Tate murders. During the evening of Saturday, August 9th, 1969, at the home of actress Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski, the Manson family members, including Tex Watson... Susan Atkins, Linda Caspian, and Patricia Krenwilker killed Tate, who was eight months pregnant, and friends J.C. Bring, Abigail Folger, Wycliffe Frykowski, and Stephen Parent. Polanski was not home at the time. He was in London. And Winifred Chapman, who was Sharon Tate's housekeeper, discovered the gruesome scene the next morning. What was the gruesome scene? Well, let me tell you. According to Time Magazine, Tate and victim Jay Sebring were tied and had been repeatedly slashed. Bullets filled the ceilings and blood covered the floors. Tate was found naked and one of Miss Tate's breasts had been cut off, apparently as a result of indiscriminate slashing. She was nine months pregnant and there was an X cut on her stomach and the baby did not survive. Los Angeles police were able to pin the crimes on a, quote, mystical, semi-religious, hippie drug and murder cult led by a bearded, demonic Mahdi able to dispatch his zombie-like followers. Just, yeah, that evil hippie cult. Yeah, who then spelled out pig and blood on the door. So after the murders, apparently Hollywood was full of terrified movie folks, and they hired a bunch of extra bodyguards. So I wanted to read some excerpts from Susan Atkins, who was one of the members of the Manson family. And this I found archived online, and I'll include a link to the interview, or actually to her article in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. So Susan says, quote, Charles instructed me in text, and a girl by the name of Linda and Katie, that's Patricia Cranwinkle, Well, Charlie instructed us to go to this particular house and gave us a car, a 1958 or 59 black Chevy, and told us to get two changes of clothes, basically black. We had been buying black clothes for what we called creepy crawlies. We'd go around and creepy crawly people's houses. We wouldn't take anything, just for the experience of getting the fear and bringing ourselves out of it. Actually, he instructed us in the details through Tex. He just told me to do everything Tex said to do. Charlie had control of everyone. I never questioned what Charlie said. I just did it. And then she kind of described a couple other details about that night and then describes right up to the moment when they entered the house. And she says, quote, and just as a car drove into our site, I couldn't actually see what happened, but I heard Tex say, stop, halt. Then Tex had a gun on this young boy. And I heard the boy say, please don't hurt me. I won't say anything. Then the gun went off four times and Tex came back and said, come on. And we proceeded to go. But the young boy who was killed in the car, his death, I felt very bad about it when I saw it had happened. And all of a sudden, I found I was at the front door. Well, there's a window right next to it. 
Tex, he lifted up and opened the window, climbed inside, and went around and opened the front door. And I feel like, I mean, that is definitely an inspiration for so many home invasion movies. So just jumping right into the LaBianca murders. So the next night after the Tate murders happened, Charles Manson accompanied six family members to 3301 Waverly Drive, which was home to supermarket executive Lino Bianca and his wife, Rosemary. Manson tied up the couple with Tex Watson and then left while the group killed the LaBiancas. It was awful and full of violence and bloodshed. They carved the word war into Lino's abdomen. They also wrote rise, death to pigs, and helter skelter on the refrigerator door with LaBianca's blood. And to get home, the group hitchhiked back to the Spawn Ranch. So those are the two Manson family murders that I took as a starting point for this discussion on home invasion. I think they're both terrifying and uh you know i can't imagine in 1969 this hitting the headlines and just being everywhere if folks in hollywood who were able to afford bodyguards what could you what do you think like an everyday person you know in the midwest or wherever what they're thinking yeah and it's interesting you know i guess they they did it to start a race war or so charles manson claims but seems like no one bought that yeah no at all it was immediately like nope it's a murderous hippie cult <laughs> yeah yep yeah but yes yeah, so to get into my research so one thing that kind of stuck out to me about the manson family murders versus the home invasion in the movie is that you know the manson family murders or at least that very first one was actually not random right it was sort of targeted yeah yeah it was definitely it was targeted as uh because i guess the former owner of the house they were trying to send a message to him or at least charles manson was yeah because he messed up his like career with the beach boys or something yeah weird so it's these cult leaders like to pretend that they're above petty human emotions but pretty much all of them are fueled by the pettiest human emotions I wanted to, for my portion of the research, go into some truly random home invasions. So I want to start with some Bureau of Justice statistics. So this was uh, from 2010, but the survey was between 2003 and 2007. So the Bureau of Justice said that an estimated 3.7 million household burglaries occurred each year between 2003 and 2007. And in about 28% of these burglaries, a household member was present. In only 7% of that 28%, a household member was violently victimized. Usually it was simple assault. Um, That was the most common form of violence and the offenders were known to their victim in 65 percent of the violent burglaries and the offenders were strangers in 28 percent so you know we're all really nervous about home invasions (laughs) it's depicted a lot in the media it's pretty rare particularly with a violent stranger but it happens and that's what i'll be talking about (laughs) yeah so first i want to talk a little bit about home invasions through knocking on a door, which is what happens in The Strangers. And this is a list from Snopes. Snopes actually did a review because there was like a viral email going around that was someone saying, you know, someone knocked on their door asking to like use their phone. And it turned out that it was a cover, like a home invasion. And they're like, is it true? Or is this just my crazy uncle forwarding me (laughs) weird emails? It is 
true, though. It happens. So in uh, 2006 in Elk Grove, California, police said that they had reports of a woman knocking on people's doors late at night and pretending to be in distress and asking for the phone to call 911. And then when they would open the door, she and other people would push their way in for a home invasion. And police said that they should stay inside and call 911 themselves if this happens. In April of 2002, there was a home invasion in Lawrenceville, Georgia. It was two teen boys showed up at the door and said that they had been attacked nearby and asked to use the phone to call 911. The couple opened the door to hand out their cordless phone and the two teens pushed their way into the home. They let two more friends in through the back door and they robbed the couple and they actually raped the woman. In October of 2008, a man posing as a Manitoba hydro worker tried to force his way into the home of a woman when she refused to open the door for him. She was suspicious because the man had mismatched jacket and pants and she requested to see his ID and then he tried to kick in her door. So the woman was able to call the police and the police actually showed up. But by the time they got there, the man had fled. In October of 2007, a 17-year-old boy in Tampa, Florida, answered the door to, and this should sound familiar, a stranger who asked for someone who didn't live at the address. Oh, no. <laughs> a stranger or the stranger? Yeah, the strangers. So the teen actually spotted a second man approaching who had a shotgun and he shut the door and ran up and called his father from the bedroom. The two men had actually kicked in the door and began robbing the house while the boy was still inside. And the dad ended up coming home and basically catching them in the act. They ended up fleeing on foot, though. So they got away, I guess. So in September of 2006, townhouse residents in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, were robbed by three men who were posing as repairmen sent to fix an air conditioning unit. Once they got in, they showed guns, they tied up all the residents, and they robbed the townhouses. Were they wearing animal masks? Because if anyone shows up to repair your air conditioner with animal masks, don't let them in. That, that kind of seems like a given. <laughs> if anyone shows up at your house in an animal mask, just don't. Yeah. Shut all the blinds yeah. and call the police. Or like a bag or just a bizarre mask. Anyone in a mask, if it's not Halloween and they show up, it's a bad sign. Yep. Um, so then between March and August of 2005, a robbery team working in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and the Bronx had their own MO. So they had a 40-year-old woman among them, and she would go to the door knocking, asking to borrow a cup of sugar. So that old trick. I've actually done that with neighbors a few times. It's like a weird thing to be afraid of, but I have too. we should it's... start being afraid of that. Yeah, I mean, sugar so, seems so unassuming. I know. Well, once they opened the door... The an armed robber team would rush in and they would rob the rob the joint. Would they steal the sugar? Oh yeah, they were just there for. Sugar. I heard they took the whole box, not even one cup. Oh no, jerks! They probably took all the brown sugar and all the artificial sweeteners too. Yeah. Um, so then finally, in uh, January of 1999, a San Jose family was robbed after they opened the door to a floral arrangement delivery man. When they opened the door, five masked men with pixel uh, with pickles. <laughs> You're not very threatening with your pickles, sirs. 
<laughs> with pistols, walkie-talkies, and rifles barged in. They bound the home's residents with duct tape, and they looted the house. So you said masks. They could have been animal masks. Yeah, if a floral delivery man comes in a mask with, like a, a, <laughs> with a gun. It's like a gun in one of those long Oh, uh, roses. Yeah, like the yeah. dozen roses. Yeah. Uh, what if they were flower masks? That'd be really creepy. Yeah, that would, that would be super Flower creepy. masked flower killer. <laughs> um, so that was just a couple of home invasions, the knock on door style, just like in The Strangers. But it's hard to know what kind of planning went into those. So I did want to talk about two cases of people who are seemingly targeted, and in this case, murdered, because they were home. So okay. the tagline yeah. for the movie, right, is because you were home. So these are pretty dark. This is These are two serial killers. So uh, Whew, Are they better than Charles Manson's yeah. family? They're probably worse. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you the details later. I'm not going to the details for these. You could look it up on your own if that's what you're into. The first is Richard Chase, the vampire of Sacramento. So he killed six people between December 29th of 1977 and January 27th of 1978. So six people in less than a month. So Richard Chase was born May 23rd, 1950. He was deeply disturbed. Uh, He was abused by his mother. And by the time he was 10, he already uh, exhibited the McDonald triad. So bedwetting, animal torture, and fire starting. He abused drugs and alcohol. And he was involuntarily committed in 1975, but somehow was deemed not a threat to society. And he was released to his mother in 1976. His first victim was a father of two named Ambrose Griffin, and he killed him in a drive-by shooting. Two weeks later, he attempted to enter the home of a woman But because her doors were locked, he just walked away. And later after he was arrested, he told detectives that he took locked doors to be a sign that he was not welcome. But for unlocked doors, he felt that that was an invitation for him to come inside. So lock your doors, everyone. Yeah. You would imagine just like hearing someone on the porch and you see like the doorknob turning. Uh, No. No, 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 no. Don't imagine that. Never mind. Okay, so his second victim, it was January 23rd, 1978. Her name was Teresa Wallen, and she was three months pregnant at the time. He shot her three times, killing her, and then he did terrible things to her body, which I'll let you imagine. He is a cannibal and a necrophiliac, so have fun imagining that. No, thank you. And then victims three through six were actually all killed in one home invasion. This was January 27th. It was another random home invasion where he's just trying doorknobs and this was unlocked. And he killed 38-year-old Evelyn Miroth and her friend Danny Meredith, her six-year-old son Jason, and her 22-month-old nephew David Ferreira. And again, he did awful things to the bodies, specifically Evelyn's and David's. So during the invasion, a six-year-old girl who was friends with Jason came and knocked at the door, and it scared Chase off. He took off actually with David's body. So five days after this mass killing, the police were contacted by a high school classmate of Richard Chase named Nancy Holden, and she thought that he could be the killer. So they 
went to his apartment and they arrested him as he was leaving. And when they went inside, they found um, everything was coated with blood. There were human remains all over uh, the organs of his victims, bits and pieces of David's body, a blender that was being used to make human smoothies. Nope. Yeah. Somehow he was found sane and guilty of first degree murder, even though he apparently believed that he needed to cannibalize humans to prevent Nazis from turning his blood into powder via a poison that they planted beneath his soap dish. What? No. Okay. I no. I I'm I sure I, they it's... found their reasons that they thought he was sane. I I don't know. Either way, that guy was not going to be released into society ever again. But on the plus side, maybe if you want to consider this a plus side, um, he is dead. On December 26th, a guard doing cell checks found him dead. He committed suicide from an overdose of doctor-prescribed antidepressant that he had been saving up. Apparently, other inmates at the prison had been encouraging him to commit suicide because they themselves were too afraid to get close to him to give him some jailhouse justice. They were like, please, Santa, for Christmas, all we want is this dude dead. Yeah, and I guess it worked. I mean, it was not a person who was mentally there, I I would think. But he wasn't a threat to society, right? (laughs) Yeah, I I can't believe he got released in the first place. Anyway... So that is the story of Richard Chase, the vampire of Sacramento. And the other one I want to talk about briefly is uh, Joseph Callinger, the shoemaker. He was born December 11th, 1936 in Philadelphia. And uh, the Callengers actually, they adopted him when he was about two in October of 1938. And despite, you know, clearly wanting a son, if they adopted him, they severely abused him. So, gee, what do Richard Chase and Joseph Callinger have in common besides being serial killers? Both victims of parental abuse. Yes. It's terrible. Yeah. So he got married when he was 17 and he had 10 children before she left him for another man in 1956. He married for a second time in April of 1958 and he began to engage in arson. He torched his own house to collect $1,600 from fire insurance. He was committed to a state hospital in 1959 following a suicide attempt. And then he set fire to his family's second home four times, twice in May of 1963, once in August of 1965, and once in October of 1967. So I guess he wasn't very good at setting his house on fire. Yeah, I guess not. So he had six children in his home at the time, Two were from his previous marriage, and of course, the cycle of abuse continued, as it often does. He physically abused all the children, including branding his daughter with a hot iron. What? Yes. So by mid-1964, Callinger was hallucinating almost constantly, and he would hold discussions with a disembodied head named Charlie and thought that he was receiving personal orders from God, which demanded that he murder young boys and sever their genitals. He confided this in his son, Michael, his 13-year-old son, and Michael said, okay, dad, and 
together they did that. They killed 10-year-old Jose Calazzo on July 7th of 1974 and severed his genitals. So on July 28th, they killed actually Joseph Callinger's son, Joseph Jr., um, him and Michael together, killed him for insurance money after he took out a, a large life insurance policy on his son. And he and Michael drowned him at a demolition site. And then that autumn, they began their home invasion spree. So on November 22nd, they burglarized a home in Lindenwood, New Jersey, but there was no one there. At their next stop, though, someone was home. And for this string of invasions, the MO was for Michael to ring the doorbell and ask if the Joneses live there. And then they would force their way into the house while the door was open. So they did this to Joan Carty. She was tied up and sexually abused by Callinger. And then 11 days later, they did the same thing in Susquehanna Township, Pennsylvania. Um, they took five hostages. They bound them and robbed them at knife point. They stole $20,000 in cash and jewelry. And he did slash one of the um, victims on her breast. And then in Homeland, Maryland, they did the same thing to Pamela Jasky. They held her captive and sexually abused her in her home. And then again in DuPont, New Jersey, um, to Mary Rudolph. And finally, their spree ended with murder on January 8th. And this time, Callinger and his son, Michael, knocked on the door of a home in Le uh, Leonia, New Jersey. They pretended to be salespeople. Were they wearing animal masks? All right, sorry. It's old. <laughs> no, it's never old. I hope we talk about your next in our movie discussion. Love that movie. Yep. So um, while at the house, they held eight captives at gunpoint. It's actually kind of crazy. I don't want to go into the details, but I think there were like two people home to begin with and people just kept showing up. So it's a little bit like the the hi-fi murders in that, but it ended up being a total of, of eight captives. They ransacked the house and they stabbed one of the captives, uh, Maria Fashig, who had showed up to like take care of the elderly mother who was home. Uh, he stabbed her to death for refusing to bite off a male captive's penis. Oh, come on. Yes. This guy is like penis obsessed so one of the women was able to escape and get help and during their getaway Callinger got careless he discarded his bloody shirt near the scene and the officers were able to actually trace the shirt back to Callinger using a dry cleaning tag that was found inside so they were arrested on January 17th Michael Callinger was ruled delinquent but salvageable and he was placed on probation until his 25th birthday in December of 1982. So I guess he's out there doing fine. I mean, I feel like he was a child following his abusive father's orders. So I'm sure that they were thorough before they decided to free him. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. Um, but Callinger was convicted. He was sentenced to prison for 30 to 80 years for the murders in Pennsylvania, plus a mandatory life sentence in New Jersey to run consecutively. While in prison, he assaulted fellow inmates on more than one occasion. He also tried to light himself on fire. In a televised interview given 10 years later, Callinger expressed his continuing desire to slaughter every person on earth, after which he hoped to commit suicide and, quote, become God. On March 26th of 1996, he unfortunately choked to death on his own vomit while having a seizure in the prison infirmary. Oh. R.I.P. Jeez. 
that unfortunately was sarcastic, by the way. Because <laughs> you can't tell through through the microphone. Rest in pieces. Yeah. Gosh. Yep. I feel like your experience of doing this research was way more grueling than mine. And I had quite the experience just with my little bit. Yeah, but true crime's my thing. It's my jam. <laughs> it's not your jam at all. I think you did a great job. And we'll go into way more detail with the Manson family. There's so much media out there inspired by it, let alone the rumored uh, Quentin Tarantino movie in the works. So yeah, don't, no. don't worry. It's not over yet. <laughs> no, I yeah, it's just they're they're so, I guess, infamous that I felt like they have over overexposed themselves. I don't like that one because the crime scenes are all online and I'm I'm actually not a big crime scene person. So I don't like when I want to go and read about it and then suddenly the image is there and I'm like, oh God, <laughs> cover my eyes. Yeah, I think I saw you most know. of the crime scene photos yeah, after I saw everyone over had your been, shoulder. Yeah, removed and that was, that was grueling. But, um, you know, I only had like two or three awful nightmares last night. So, Oh, only two or three? Yeah. That's great. No, those are, um, yeah, I feel those are very pertinent to the, the uh, yeah. our, our discussion yeah. on Strangers. Well, and I apologize to anyone who is sensitive about home invasions, you know, like I am. I do try to avoid movies and even, you know, true crime stories about such things just because it's something that I dwell on a lot in my day-to-day life just because I'm paranoid. So I'll, we'll, hopefully you're not listening to this because it's about the strangers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to wait it out until we get to the movie discussion. Well, the movie's also about home invasion. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. But gosh, after hearing these stories, I feel like the movie's so tame. Yeah. All right. Well, those are some, uh, wow, I don't know what's the right word, grueling and terrifying stories of home invasion in real life. So make sure your doors are locked and that your whatever security things you have in place are ready to go because just in a minute, we're going to start discussing The Strangers. So we're back and we're here to chat about The Strangers, the 2008 horror film directed by Brian Bertino, starring Liv Tyler as Kristen and Scott Spieben as James. So yeah, The Strangers, there's three of them. (laughs) Yes, there are. Three Strangers played by Dollface, Jim Award, you may know from 
some other being a supermodel that's yeah. probably what you know her from you'll you would recognize her face even though you don't see her face in the movie she's kind of a big deal yeah she's got a doll face oh wait no she oh she has a <laughs> literal doll face it it's a little creepy but i mean she's like gorgeous yeah there's the man in the mask played by kip weeks and then there's pinup girl played by laura margolis and actually the man in the mask and pinup girl are going to be at horror hound in indianapolis where we will have an art booth at yes and was it three weeks yeah just a couple four of weeks, weeks away. yeah three weeks four weeks yes oh. yeah so as i mentioned it's, it's a brian bertino film he also wrote the story and directed he only has a couple of other credits under his name so far he followed it up with a film called mockingbird also the film the monster which was an indie darling that came out last year i've we have not seen it yet, but I know we've talked about it. It's supposed to have some really great creature effects, and it's like a mother-daughter road trip story, right? That preview looked too spooky for me. He's also written the story for The Strangers, too. However, he will not be directing. Don't have a ton of trivia about this one, but <laughs> the original title of the screenplay was called The Faces, which I feel like The Faces versus The Strangers, I think The Strangers is definitely a, a better title. I agree. I absolutely agree. But oddly enough, with Liv Tyler in the lead, her father, Steven Tyler, the lead of Aerosmith, when he was a teenager, was in a band called The Strangers. Is that a coincidence or is that where he ended up getting the final movie title from? I think it's a coincidence. It's a coincidence? It's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. And then one thing that I didn't actually pick up on when I watched it, so you at home, if you have not watched it and you do watch it, or if you already love this movie, let us know. But um, one of the trivia things was that the opening credits, the houses in it, resembled the homes in A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and Amityville Horror. Gotta just get in that Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah? Well, casually, yeah. Just casually. It felt really natural in this one. Right, until we call it out. Until I called it out, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it stars my favorite horror icon, Freddy Krueger. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha 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 ha. Oh, All right. Well, let's chat about the film. First impressions, Chelsea. So I need to admit that I had to distract myself during the film by embroidering because I'm I'm not kidding about my thing with home invasion movies. Even David could attest to it. With the distraction, I still had to like stand up and walk around in a circle in the movie. I yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I lived alone for three three years before we met and I lived alone here in Cincinnati for a year um, after I got my my current position and when I'm by myself (laughs) I'm kind of a mess I was I seriously I would booby trap my house like I was in home alone (laughs) I'm I'm like it's like don't grab the doorknob your head's gonna and barricaded it's I don't really know where it stems from you know, I don't think it quite reaches the level of a phobia, but home invasion movies are not movies that I watch for fun. So I thought it was scary. I thought it was effective. It it pressed all the buttons. You know, it had her in the foreground unaware while there was a creepy masked person behind her. You know, that's a, that's a button. People banging on the door really loud. That's a button. Faces popping up in windows. Oh, that's another button. Things that are moved in a way that makes you know that there's someone else in the house another button p 
people accidentally killed by friendly fire. That's a button in a different way that makes me mad. I was just we'll gonna... probably talk about that later. Or do you want to <laughs> yeah. talk about it now? No, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. All right. So, yes, I think the movie was really hyped up. Is it my favorite or is it on my list of favorite modern horror movies? No. And I think it does go a little beyond the fact that it's just a home invasion movie. And I don't tend to be personally attracted to those. I think it was very good, you know, in terms of it being original. I guess it's hard because I don't watch a lot of modern horror movies. So to me, it felt more like a throwback than something new and original. (laughs) You know, in terms of like a good or like a, a good kind of home invasion type movie i don't know why black christmas is coming to mind with me of like oh no someone, it's someone being i know it's not quite a home invasion more of like a slasher but that idea of like someone being in the house yeah i i don't i don't know <laughs> i'm a bad person to ask for opinions on home invasion movies oh no you're a great person to ask i think that's a good, really good perspective it did you know it gives it from a uh perspective of reality and also in terms of your i guess your preferences and the genre yeah i could see it really standing out among modern horror films because it was coming out around the same time that you would see a lot of these like movies that rely very heavily on jump scares or gore and it was not either of those things which is awesome (laughs) i really you know neither of those really i I think those are kind of low-hanging fruit you know blood and jump scares i think they're about the lowest hanging fruit really so i think it was it did a good it built an atmosphere it was creepy the masks were insanely creepy so yeah that's it what was your opinion baby i mean david (laughs) yeah so not impressed (sighs) yeah but i will acknowledge it's gonna throw down But um, with the caveat that this is a 2008 home invasion film that I feel like the movies that are successful and impressive home invasion movies for me that I have seen, which to be honest, I have not seen a ton of them. I will give credit to the fact that they probably are working from the groundwork that the strangers, I guess, paved, right? Um, is that a saying? Work, like paving? Lay the groundwork? Yeah. What did I say? Lay paving? the groundwork. Pave the ground, pave the parking lot. I I mean, (laughs) pave paradise, put up a parking lot. (laughs) That's Joni Mitchell's song. It's not a Counting Crows song. No, and it also was not the closing credit song of The Strangers either. No, it was not. Not at all. There were no animal masks in this movie. No, there were human masks, which I think are creepier than animal masks. Yeah, there's a Nightbreed style. Valley. Very, very inspired by Nightbreed, and right? Yeah, Nightbreed slash Friday the 13th part to Bagheaded Jason. Yeah. It was a super well-made movie. I think that Brian Bertino's script is very strong. The performances, you know, the Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman specifically, I think they did an amazing job, um, as well as the, the three strangers themselves. But yeah, I, I don't know if it was a product of hype I honestly, I honestly don't know. I can't like step back and say. Ha- I feel have like I s- the creepiest stuff was everything kind of before it got real, before they're really like running away from them. The person knocking on the door, you know, asking if Tamara's home with the light not working, the knock coming back, her being left alone when he runs out. I think all of that kind of before they start invading the home was terrifying and effective you know and then it kind of just turns into like a 
they're chasing her around. <laughs> I was more interested in the story of the awkward proposal and then what was going on with them. Like it felt like a relationship drama. I didn't need the home invasion part of it. It just, who, who you cares? You just wanted to watch a movie about yeah, a like, failed proposal. Yeah, I was watching really? dra- this. Because I think the worst thing that happened in the movie is that he proposed at someone else's wedding. Oh yeah. No, that? that was awful. Who does that? It's yeah, just like, propos- that's a horror movie. <laughs> it's like proposing on a holiday. Oh wait, sorry. Sorry. Anyone that has been proposed to on a holiday. But if you're planning I'm, to, don't do it. See, I'm fine with that. I know you have a problem with that. I'm so glad I didn't propose to you on a holiday. <laughs> oh, wait, you proposed to me. Or must it was Halloween. <gasps> oh, my God. Yes. Put it inside of a little fun-sized snicker bar like it's a razor blade. Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> well, we got married on October 1st. That was our tribute to the Halloween marriage. Uh, yes. I guess part of it all. But all right. So... I've but already... yeah, no, anyway, personally, I think proposing on holiday, let's like get sidetracked for a minute. Proposing on holiday, case by case basis. Don't do it because you're too lazy to make the proposal something special. So it's like, I'll just wrap it up and stick it under the Christmas tree. But I think you should know if your potential future fiance would be into that sort of thing or not. And if they're oh, into that's it, good. Yeah. awesome. They might want to get engaged you know, at a big event where all of their family is there because they want to celebrate with their family. But no matter what, do not propose to someone at someone else's wedding. That's just not cool. Oh, it's a terrible idea. And the scene where he does it, I mean, you could kind of tell he like... <laughs> oh, so romantic in a parking lot. <laughs> yeah, let me go out to the parking lot. We're already a little tipsy from this wedding reception. I don't know, maybe he planned to propose later on during their road trip and kind of like jump the gun on it. That's what you I know, was thinking. I want a movie about the proposal. The right? Proposal. See, I told you. No. Let <laughs> done. Okay, so before we start talking about the, the guts of the film, mm-hmm. um, I just want to really quickly list off a couple of better home invasion movies. So I'm going to work backwards. So I'm going to start with Mike Flanagan's Hush. Which I have not seen because you watched that this past year and I would not watch it when I was living by myself. Yeah, so Hush is amazing because, well, I mean, it's a really great home invasion movie. It's terrifying. There's a very, very, very tiny cast and the protagonist, she's deaf and it's a Netflix original. So if you have Netflix, you can check out Hush. I know Chelsea and I have discussed not digging Oculus so much, which was the filmmaker's previous film, Um, but we did like Absentia. Which was his oh, indie darling. Oh, I did like Absentia. Yes. I hated Oculus. Yeah. Oculus was n- not and good. it's starring Karen Gillan, who I love. Yeah. So it really takes some shit for me to not like it. And it Starbucks in it too. Okay. So there's Hush, which maybe the strange, maybe it would, ha- Hush wouldn't have happened had the strangers not happen. But also a film that I think is near and dear to Chelsea and I's heart in terms of home invasion. Um, Adam Wingard's You're Next. Yes. Yes, a home invasion movie that I loved. Here's how you get me to watch and like a home invasion movie. Girls kicking ass. Yep. Yes. I feel like we should not spoil anything about your next except to say watch it. And also there are creepy animal masks. So, yeah. (laughs) What year did that come out? 2013. All right. It also brought Barbara Crampton back to our world, which was awesome. Yes, but yeah, I will say about your next. Okay, so we're so many episodes in. Maybe you all have a a little bit of a sense of my horror movie sensibilities. But I think like just on what we've talked about thus far in our young podcast days, you could probably see why your next. I would dig a little bit more. It's more on the fantastical side. There's a lot more. I don't know. It just it's a lot of fun. It's fun, and that's 
my thing with horror movies, you know, obviously not with true crime. True crime is almost never fun. <laughs> There's like very few cases that have something that is comical. Not to say that I don't laugh at things because I laugh when I'm uncomfortable, in case you can't tell yet this many episodes in. But reality is often dark and terrible. And I just, I like my horror movies to be fun. I like to escape a little bit. So, you know, talking about reasons that I would like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 more than Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1. Because it's fun. It is fun. Yeah. yeah. And your next is fun. Where yeah, this no, movie fun. is just, you know, scary and a bit dismal. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Definitely. Which so. I feel like a lot of people watch scary movies to be scared oh what a what a weird concept right what's your favorite scary movie yeah so scream another scary movie that i think is fun you know i was thinking about home invasion movies and you know that's has an aspect of home invasion yeah i think a a lot of often slasher movies do yeah they they overlap but i guess like i'm I'm getting off track this is going to be the longest minute this is going to be a maxi so no we should yeah i mean we could do a full episode we could call it a full episode yeah too but um all right so the strangers let's uh let's chat about the plot and what happens we can walk through it so we already mentioned it before but obviously james has proposed to Kristen, and she he has been rejected he has a whole um, I guess set up at his father's home, which is a single floor home. He has roses everywhere. He has uh, candles. He has like ice cream. Champagne. Yeah, oh, he is ready to celebrate. It's really so. He did plan to propose at the wedding there. We just answered our question. Oh, that's right. Why would you do that? I don't know. It was a bad idea. But yeah. I mean, anyway. It, so anyway, so it's a cold open, and it opens with the ending essentially. So you see the crime scene. Yes. And then it works its way. Well, it but jumps to But all you see like, is like a blood splatter on the wall, a bloody knife, a gun on the counter. And the engagement. Like the doors open. Box. Yeah. 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 But then, you know, you jump forward to a couple that's awkwardly driving home in a car. They're obviously have been somewhere. He's in a tuxedo. She's in a dress. Obviously, something's going on. They arrive home and then the house is decked out. It's, it's like a romantic setting. It's a romantic scene. The mood has been set. But the mood is gone. You already know that nothing good is going to come out of this night. And James is, he's shut down, right? He has shut down because he's been rejected. You also know right away it's the same house. You know, there's a a record player that they show in both scenes. It's pretty obviously the same house, even though they don't have like a little, oh, that was really (laughs) thing, which thank God they don't. That would just be weird. Yeah, no, that would be or like a voiceover or something. But um, <laughs> I feel like the um, the use of vinyl in the movie feels like a little bit ahead of its time. But then it turns out it's his dad's house, so then you go, okay, the father had. Yeah, they're not a couple of hipsters like us with our record player. <laughs> yeah, that's half movie score horror movie scores. And then I think half, it's like, more than half horror movie scores in yeah, our record collection. Is. Yeah. Yeah, I went nuts for a couple of years, but what can you do? <laughs> now it's just a perch for the cats. No, it's all hooked up. It's we we do listen. But it's mostly a perch for the cats because everything in the house is. Yep, as you do. But we still wear black t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah, as you do. As you do. <laughs> all right, so in order to I guess have a backup plan, James calls his buddy Mike and says, "Hey Mike, I know you've been partying the wedding. I'm probably drunk, but when you're ready, could you please come pick me up? This didn't go as planned." 
Yes. And at this Poor point... Mike. Poor ill-fated Mike, played by Glenn Howerton, who you might recognize from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Which I have not seen the show, but... I have seen some of the show. I know the name of the show, so... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think at this point, I was reading more into the movie because... I was kind of kind of jumped to the conclusion that maybe the strangers were a setup by James as his plan B in case Kristen said no, and then he was part of the invasion. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Which I don't, I don't think it's on purpose. I think that's us bringing our own sentiments into it. But like the fact that the guy with the sack mask doesn't show up until after James goes out for cigarettes for a minute. I was kind of there with David, but well, and also they glad that would have been a stupid twist. It would have been, but they do the thing like Scream, where it's like James suddenly shows up and he's winded, and it's like, where did you come? You know, Kristen's like, where did you come from? And it's like, oh, I just got back, and I, you know, whatever. But there's a point where it becomes clear that there are invaders because you see them both in the same place and one by one. So it starts out with what's the quote? The knock on knocking on the door. Oh, is Tamra home? Yeah, so it's like. All right, this is really creepy. Yeah, they're so they're kind of having a a moment of passion, perhaps kind of mourning the imminent end of their relationship, perhaps, or you know, she's just not ready yet. But you know, they're about to do it on the dining room table, (laughs) and there's like a really loud knock on the door, and it's four in the morning. But for some reason, they answer it, which I would never. (laughs) No, they answer it. And there's like there's these no two people. giant wooden doors. There's no window. There's no nothing. Like no. who has who has a house like that? Seriously. Yeah. But they answer it, and it's a girl standing. Her face is completely in the shadows. I honestly couldn't tell if she was wearing the mask or not. It's doll face is and, at the door. But she turns around, turns away, and you can just see there's like a yeah. little sliver of the screen. And is I was what like, David says. I'm still not not positive. I feel like. There should have been enough illumination from the house to tell whether or not she was wearing the mask. No, no, because she unscrewed the um, the front porch light. Yeah, but the lights were on inside the house. But it's it's setting the mood. I know. I get it. <laughs> I'm just saying the physics of it. Right. Um, but yeah, she did. She unscrewed the porch light. So he like goes to flip on the lights and nothing comes on. And she asks if Tamara's there. He says there's no one here named Tamara. And she says, are you sure? And he says, uh, yeah, I'm sure. And then she says, see you later and walks away, which is so creepy. It's really creepy. But I, I kind of also was reading more into that than there was. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I was, I was, um, you were so suspicious of I was really Scott Speederman. <laughs> yep. Poor yeah. Scott Speederman. Yep. Wait, was he in the Underworld movies? Scott Speedman? I, I never know. saw any of the Underworld no, movies. Scott Speedman. He's not the Speedo guy though. It's a different name. No, I think that's Scott Speedoman. <laughs> Not to be confused with Kenny Reeves' movie, thrown back to River's Edge, our previous episode of Speed. <laughs> Whoa. All right. So that happens. It starts establishing the, um. well. He is the guy from Underworld. Oh, all right. Yeah. He's the werewolf dude or whatever that um, Kate Beckinsale has to fight. Or Kate. Oh, he's from Felicity. I oh, thought he looked okay. familiar. All right. Yeah. That's cool. All right, yeah. Kristen is on her own, though, for a little while. And then, yeah, like we said, James comes back. And then it's a question of what is his motivation. And he doesn't quite believe her. And that kind of sucks because you're like, as an audience, we already saw what is going on. 
Yeah. Um, but pretty quickly he realizes that it, it's actually happening and it's all downhill from there. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not good for the two of them. There's of course a prerequisite. I'm going to go to the car. I'll be right back. Oh my God. And you know, when he discovers the fact that the car's windshield has been bashed in and his tires had been, what's the right, what's the word? Slashed. slashed yeah. Slashed. Almost. And he still goes to the car. He's like, oh, I'm going to get your cigarettes for you, honey. And No, oh. it's, he's going for his cell phone. He like left his... Oh, yeah. He's going, eh, I forgot my cell phone in the car. Let me go out and get it. Yeah. And it's not there. No, it's there. He gets oh, his cell phone. There. He brings it in. But then while he's talking to Liv Tyler, they manage to like break in and take the battery off his phone. And like that's when he realizes, oh, shit, there's... Or, oh, poop, there's actually someone in the house. Yep, yep. It's a good thing he's wearing brown pants. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. I wish I was wearing brown pants while I watched that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they kind of back their way into the room. They're in, oh, wait, they find the gun. But there's... I did think the gun scene was good. It was like his father had had the gun, but it was sort of, it was in pieces or whatever. Yeah. And the ammo was separate from the gun. And there's like a little scene where they had, you know, just build a lot of tension. Yeah. Um. I kept yelling at them, though, as if they could hear me, so that James would fill his pockets with the shotgun shells, and then Kristen would, too, because I was assuming, like, Kristen would be the final girl, and, like, she would at some point need the gun. Yeah, which you were right on one of those two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Um, working our way towards that part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a good scene, but then, like, Mike shows up. And it's uh, like, he's dead. Like, it felt like... Well, he's walking down the hallway and behind him, you see the guy in the mask with a big axe, like, behind him while he's just completely unaware. And then... So, David called this, and I was like, no, the guy with the axe is going to kill him. Like, they're going to see it happen, but the guy with the axe is going to kill him. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that thing that I hate that movies do. And they did it. They did. They did it. When we make a movie, we're not having one of those scenes. No, no. It's, I don't want to call it a pet peeve it, as much as just like something I don't like. <laughs> it's such a, it's such a trope. It's so cliche. See, it goes beyond that for me because I don't mind a lot of cliches or tropes, but it makes me uncomfortable on a really fundamental level where it's like, these are characters dealing with the worst possible situation imaginable. They Their home is being invaded by people who want to kill them. On top of that, let's have him shoot his best friend. Like, Why not? Come yeah. on. I'm like, it's... I yeah yeah anyway that happened does the mic die.com <laughs> yeah the mic died in this one he did but fortunately there were no pets there were no pets no so that's the other thing that makes me uncomfortable on a very fundamental level yeah well at some point i was like does the live tyler die.com because we <laughs> because we often reference does the dog die all the yes. horror movies we watch chelsea and i are both sensitive towards animals we have a whole family of furry friends I do not like it when pets die in movies and the trope of the dog dying is awful. I hate it. And I feel like more filmmakers are starting to like realize that they shouldn't kill the dog. What was the home invasion movie you just watched where they made sure that the dog lived? Oh, well, it was was like the companion piece to hush, but except he really didn't like this one. They break into his house and then it turns out he's like a, creepy guy with a rape oh face oh um don't breathe don't breathe yeah yep yeah. yep they put yeah they like give the dog a treat with pills in it and <laughs> yeah. then the doggy falls asleep 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I like what they they did with the doggy there. Yes. But you know, it's it's purposeful. Yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I think they're realizing, oh, everyone's okay with all the people getting murdered, but not the dogs. So the dog shall survive. Conjuring 2 did the best when the dog just turned into the crookedy man. Oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, we're getting off track, but I feel like this is kind of where the movie just... You know, once the real home invasion starts, uh, Scott Speedman is taken out quite early on when he's going to radio for help. And then Liv Tyler has to go. She is almost able to radio for help, but is not able to and gets knocked out. And then they wake up next to each other dressed in their wedding finest. And it's daylight, which... That's one yeah. thing that, like, I think that they did a good job of was, like, this felt like the end. I mean, it was, like, what more can they do? You know, yeah. everyone's revealed. They start taking off their masks, which That's, at that point... And you can... It's, it's like, almost heartbreaking because you can tell Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman, their characters, they know what that means. You know, as much as we all know what that means yeah. when we're watching the movie. And, like, having that feeling in yourself... And having it mirrored by the characters. I mean, it's like, it's powerful. I feel like as I was watching the ending, I was not really sold on it. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, no, it's it's the ending. It's what it was headed for. It's the first time they're really face to face with these invaders. She's wearing her ring. She actually, I guess, put on... I don't know if... So she put on the ring earlier. I don't know if she took it off and they put it back on her or if she never took it off, but... I think they put it back on know. her because she's dressed in her, her uh, outfit, outfit yeah. from earlier the night, which but she could, had put yeah. on the sensible gear for the whole home yeah. invasion aspect of it. But I feel like, you know, you could kind of tell, like, she puts her hand on James's leg with the ring. He knows what it means. You know, she's kind of sending a wordless message like, I love you despite what happened at the wedding and you know they're together as they're very slowly stabbed in the gut by each of the three unmasked strangers which we don't actually see their full face either yeah but we but we know we know (laughs) yeah Yeah. so it's that ending i mean i'm i'm glad i feel like so (laughs) (laughs) yeah right after that let let me just word word for word tell you what happened so uh, after that, you see kind of the perspective of the two boys that you see in the beginning that are coming upon the murder scene. They actually see the strangers as they're leaving and give one of the girls um, a brochure for their church. And gives them another opportunity of like this really scary like... Yeah, the I'm only person who talks is Gemma Ward. Gemma Ward's character, yeah. Dollface. So they ask her if she's a sinner and she says, sometimes... <laughs> um gives the brochure and they drive off and then the kids go into the house they find the bodies they're not in chairs anymore where they were when they were stabbed they're like splayed on the ground and scott speedman poor james is r.i.p very yeah r.i.p very much dead and then it turns out that actually Liv tyler is alive last shot of the movie yeah she did um yeah, Survivor. She survived, which she is, did. I feel like that was good. I like the movie a lot more for her having survived. I do too. You know, it's it's still not a fun movie, but it's slightly less dismal. Yeah, slightly less. It, yeah. it is. It's sad. Yeah. It's a tragedy. And it goes back to the, um, I guess, the, the true crime aspect of it where these individuals and or groups of people who went on these murder sprees we didn't have many survivors in the the 
the stories of true life that we just talked about ahead of talking about this film itself. But as an audience, I do think it's important that Kristen survives. I was very attached to her more than I thought, probably because unlike a movie like Your Next, where the female lead was a bit like a superhero, Liv Tyler felt so human just like kind of an everyman like this is the kind of thing that I as a woman could try to do it was not above or beyond what an average woman could try to do in this situation so I was very happy that she survived yeah me too so you know really I think that um this is probably one of the best home invasion movies ever made (laughs) even though you didn't quite like it I mean wait 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 wait. No, after no, I think you're right. I think that's a a wonderful point. And but you know, is that what we look for in our movies? Do I want to see what I would be like in a home invasion movie? No, no, absolutely not. You know, which is why, like, even though I absolutely appreciate it, even though I could see why so many people like it, me personally, as someone who is terrified of home invasions. I would never watch it again. (laughs) I don't plan to ever watch it again. Whereas like I could see myself watching Your Next again. It's fun. I compared it to Your Next is like The Strangers meets the last 25 minutes of Predator. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. So it's this movie is definitely, I think, a matter of personal taste so kudos to those of you who love this movie who reached out after we announced that we were doing it and said that you loved it because you're a lot braver than i am (laughs) yeah yeah no it's really great that there's so many people who are passionate for this film and you know i'm willing to admit that the fact that films that have come afterwards kind of like what's the word they're kind of on the shoulders of derivatives no 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 not derivative uh stranger yeah absolutely lay the foundation for a lot of awesome movies that came afterwards and i think movies that were able to take a risk because this movie was definitely a a risk in terms of being so different than what was available and in my opinion absolutely better so much better and more effective than a lot of modern horror movies because it seemed so real and unfortunately that's what i don't really like about it is it's just a little bit too real for me absolutely personal taste yeah no i agree i think that's uh that's a good perspective on it and uh i'm kind of the same way so yeah that's the strangers thanks for everyone who's been excited to um hear us talk about this film in particular Chelsea and i have both i think we have plans to watch the monster at some point i know it comes highly recommended you'll have to tie me up and put me in that eye thing like uh what's that clockwork orange like clockwork orange yeah which i also (laughs) haven't seen and don't really plan on seeing that's based on a future crime oh wait (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that's that's the strangers Liv tyler scott spieven great performances a really well-written script by brian bertino if you want to actually look back on episodes of the movie crypt they have both talked to um well they talked to the producer on the film and i believe uh maybe they talked to brian bertino i could be confusing that with an episode of shockwaves but either way yeah check out that movie crypt episode with the producer of the strangers because they talk about all of brian bertino's film this right before strangers 2 was announced so people were asking why didn't why is there a strangers 2 you know it's been almost 10 years and people are getting now there is 
well, it's coming out in 2018, right? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, having Man on the Mask and Pinup Girl, um, Kip Weeks and Laura Margolis being at Horror Hound Indianapolis in a couple of weeks. Maybe we'll get some sneaky shots. I'm sure there's lots of people who are really, really, really digging the fact that they're going to be there. So, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, uh, as David said, the story of Stranger Things. It's also the story of... Not Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Oh, my God. The Strangers and a couple of very, very terrible uh, home invasions and brutal murders committed by terrible people. Terrible. (laughs) But also, you know, people that obviously had mental illness issues it's one of those things where it's 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 a couple of them i think charles manson is just a sneaky mother effer oh yeah no you look at his pictures his picture came up in so many articles is looking at and yeah yeah he, that's what you had nightmares about those crazy eyes yeah about about charles manson so please find us on social media <laughs> check us out on instagram that's our favorite place to interact with everyone at based on a true crime but we're also on facebook we sometimes try to mix up a little bit but we do also post similar sort of content so look us up based on a true crime based on true crime podcast on facebook you'll find us there and we do tweet uh all of our instagram posts yeah we that's mostly what our twitter is. but we do love it when you guys retweet us um tweet at us we love it we've received a couple really nice facebook messages yeah Uh, we received a message from our buddy sarah beth who posted the review so happy for a shout out so here's another one yeah (laughs) we love your message it made me so happy yeah um and of course email which is where we got this episode um in an email from angel so our email is based on true crime at gmail.com so please reach out we do this for fun this is both of our interests (laughs) we do it because we love it but it kind of helps sometimes hearing from listeners who dig it too. So thank you so much to everyone who's reached out. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, lock your front doors, lock all your windows, and don't believe 40-year-old women when they come over for a cup of sugar. Except I will say, and I meant to mention this earlier, is you know, if instances of people have been in terrible car wrecks and people coming to homes and saying, I need help, I need help. I was in a car wreck. Someone is awfully injured and then they get blown their head blown off and you know that's that's something to think about like yes um, let's say use your best judgment don't have big wooden doors with no windows and if you do feel like you need to call 911 but not open your door make sure you fully relay the message so if someone is there asking for help say there is someone there asking for help don't just say there's someone on your porch <laughs> you know I- there's someone knocking on your door be specific and yeah just just use your best judgment so use your best judgment be cautious don't be racist and uh yeah uh and fuck nazis right and stay sexy don't get murdered oh wait (laughs) i just came up with that just on my own oh you're a genius yeah it's uh so hashtag us uh s s d g m (laughs) on instagram it's probably the first time you guys have heard that yeah Um. (laughs) never heard that before in my life no but um i didn't just listen to the new mini so that came out today this morning Oh, oh yeah never yeah no but we appreciate all your feedback and thank you for listening you know we do this for you yes thank you
So stay tuned for uh, our episode next week. We will be teasing that out on Instagram. I know this has been a long closing segment for our social media, but hey, we got to pimp ourselves, right? Yes. All right. Death is but a door. Oh, I thought you forgot. Time is but a window. We'll be back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.